You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. On New Year's Eve, um, the heater in our house went out. Uh, so it was just in time for the weather to start getting cold again. If you remember the week before, we had the hottest Christmas week in 30 years. Uh, and then uh, New Year's Eve, the temperature drops back down into like the high 20s, low 30s, and just in time for my heater to go out. So uh, I just put this unit in back in July, dropped a p- pretty penny on that. So I called the uh, heating and cooling repair guy. And I'm like, hey, my unit's just not working. The, heat, the heat's not on. We're cold. He says, I can't make it out until the next day. So that night, we just kind of bundle up. The next day, the, the heating and repairman, show, uh, cooling repairman shows up, and it's about 6.30 p.m. And, and so I, I, little did I know this was about to turn into a very awkward situation. So he and I are standing together in my hallway. He's taking a look at the thermostat when it's always Susanna, right, for me. But out of nowhere, Susanna my middle child comes streaking, and I mean literally, like no clothes on at all, comes, was fully dressed when he arrived, uh, and then takes all her clothes off, I don't know why, uh, and she just comes streaking down the hallway, laughing and screaming maniacally, and my dog, who's like a massive golden doodle that's way bigger than her, is chasing her, and so she, she, it's a small little hallway, so she runs right into this guy, dog nearly knocks him over, he's, and then, so then he, he notices this, he's visibly uncomfortable because what happens next is she gets down on all fours at his feet and begins to bark at the dog and then they engage i'm not making this up uh they engage in a wrestling match and this is a very awkward situation for a grown man when it's not your child so this is a, there's a five-year-old naked person at your feet wrestling with a gigantic dog and, and this guy's here trying to work on new year's day like he didn't ask to be in this situation so as I'm like trying to, and I'm again, not exaggerating this at all, as I'm uh, going into full-blown like dad mode and trying to like rescue him from this situation, I hear in that moment, Peach, my youngest child from the, ba- the bathroom all the way across the house screaming repeatedly, I need someone to come wipe me because I've pooped. And so she's... <laughs> Um, no shame at all, just announcing it to the whole house, like screaming it over and over repeatedly. This guy makes eye contact with me, like, do you need to handle that? Uh, thankfully, my wife tackles that while I'm tackling this other situation. And then, if I'm lying, I'm dying, while all that's going on, in the midst of all that, like, I, I, don't, ha- I don't even have Susanna out of the floor yet. Uh, Lucy, my oldest, uh, comes up to me in the middle of that, holding her stomach, and she's talking about in great detail how she's trying to poop but can't. Uh, and so she's describing like the force of, that she's using and how hard she's... I don't know. It, it's, it's, it was a really rough situation for this guy. And, and in the moment it was for me. In fact, later that night we had to take Lucy to the ER and found out she was in fact constipated. So um, here's what's... So anyways, I kind of just look at the guy in the moment and say, Happy New Year. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I'm really glad you're here. Please don't charge me for this. Uh, and so I reminded him that you just put the unit in, you know. Uh, and so, so he leaves. Later that night, Carrie and I, if we put the kids to bed, are laughing hysterically, like kind of replaying this in our minds. And here's what the hilarious thing that occurs to us is that <laughs> if you remove the heating and cooling repairman, everything else that was happening in our house in that moment was just normal. Like, it wasn't awkward until a stranger or a guest arrives. You take him out of the picture and it's just family. Like, this is who, this is what a family's like. And, and I, so, you know, just to give you a glimpse into the Breckenridge home, I don't know about your family, but in my house, it's not uncommon to openly announce that you're going to the bathroom. Uh, we just do that with each other. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, it's not uncommon, uh, at least for my kids, to discuss your bathroom issues. Like sometimes they want me to look at it. Anybody else? I don't know. Creeps me out. I'm not for it, but it's just, it's family, right? It's part, it's part of who we are. Uh, it's not unusual to maybe walk around the house not fully clothed, or if you're one of my children, like clothes are just not, they're not, they're non-essential completely. Um, and so these are the kind of things that are not always welcomed. 
by us, but they're the kind of things that we just accept as normal because it's family. We've learned it gets real weird real fast when you throw a stranger into that mix. Um, but when you're family, you don't think about it, right? It's just, it's a place where you can be raw. It's a place where you can be real. It's a place where you can be messy and a bit dysfunctional. It's not always nice and pretty, but at the end of the day, it's family. And there's this sense of security where you can just kind of be the real you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's what it means to be family. We were in Nashville uh, back in the spring, and we, were, um, we found this print. We were at a, a flea market in Nashville. I think I could put a picture of it on the screen for you. Um, we found this print, thought it was a pretty good summary of what it means to be family, so now it's hanging in our living room. So here's what it says. In this house, we laugh a lot. We try our best. We are patient most of the time. We always hug. We tell the truth. We make mistakes. We say, I'm sorry. We give second chances. We keep our promises. We always forgive. We never give up. We always have fun. We are real. We do really loud. We love. And then in all caps, we do all of this because we are family. And I love that. I think family is meant to be a place where it's safe for you to be the real you, right? Family's intended to be a place where it's safe to cut loose and laugh and play and you don't have to take yourself too seriously. It's a safe place where you can stumble and fall and yet we help each other back up. It's a place where you can fail and make mistakes and you can have places in your life where you know you need to grow and everybody around you knows that you need to grow and like it's not really okay for you to be that way and yet, and yet you don't have to pretend and perform for people to love you and stay with you. It's a place where like we might drive one another crazy, but at the end of the day, we belong to one another, right? And in spite of all your flaws and your imperfections and your idiosyncrasies and how weird you all are, like we just accept one another because we're family. If that's what family's meant to be, I think it's safe to say that at the core of every human heart, there's a deep ache and a deep longing for this kind of family. Like we long for this, right? We long for a place where I can be real and, and it won't be held against me. Like a place where it's okay to not be okay and yet the people around me are not going to let me stay there. They love me. They're going to pick me back up. They're going to encourage me. They're going to help me grow up. We long for a place where it's, it's safe to be known, belong, and be loved. We long for family. And the reason I share that with you this morning is because just to put it in context of where we are and what we're talking about right now in this season, right now we're in our 2020 vision series. We're talking about what does it mean to be the church God's called us to be? Who are we as a church? Um, and, and last week, Jared unpacked how in order for us to see our vision, which is, which is to see God's kingdom come and his will be done um, in northeast Arkansas as it is in heaven, in order for us to see that vision become a reality, we have to be a people who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together in northeast Arkansas. I think we have a graphic of that. Maybe we can put on the screen. Maybe. Three circles. Bam. So that top circle, Jared talked about last week, this top circle, how... Um, we practice the way of Jesus because we're disciples of Jesus. Like to be a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean you pray a prayer, you go to church occasionally, you try to live a decent moral life, and then you die and and you, you go to heaven when you die. Like to be a disciple of Jesus means you reorient your entire life, your whole way of life around Jesus and following or practicing his teachings and his lifestyle or his, his way of, of doing life and being human. So we practice the way of Jesus because we're disciples. And this morning what I want to do is I want to unpack that kind of second circle there to the left. And I want to talk about how not only do we practice the way of Jesus because we're disciples, but because we're family, we practice the way of Jesus together. And so the the big idea I want us to wrestle with this morning is that it's impossible, listen to me, it's impossible to follow Jesus alone. And it's destructive if you try. Um, When you are saved into relationship with Jesus... And we're going to talk a lot about this this morning. I'll give you some scripture in a moment. Just listen to me for now. When you're saved into relationship with Jesus, you're saved into relationship with the church. And when you read the Bible from start to finish, there's a lot of different images and different language that biblical authors use to describe the people of God. But by far, the primary way the Bible talks about God's people is that we are family. God is our Father. We are brothers and sisters together in Christ. And listen, this is a reality that that we take very seriously as a church. It's rooted in our, our vision and our mission. And our deep, our deep conviction is that in order for us to be the church God's called us to be, 
We have to be a people who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together because in Christ, God has truly made us a family. He's made us a family. And don't just take our word for it. Let's take God's word for it. So go back to Mark chapter 3 and let's dive into this. Okay, everybody with me? Mark chapter 3. Um, just to set the context for you, Jesus is with his disciples. He's doing ministry in Galilee. He's been traveling through all these cities and villages teaching about the kingdom of God, healing the sick, casting out demons. And so now uh, word is getting out about Jesus. He's blowing up on social media. He's trending on Twitter. He's going viral. And so you read about how this great crowd is assembling around Jesus. Literally, it says people are coming from cities all over the known world to see Jesus. And so you got to picture this. Jesus surrounded by this massive crowd, okay? And then in verse 31, we read about how Jesus' mom and his brothers are trying to get to him. Scholars believe probably to try to save him from this mob. They think he's crazy. What's he doing putting himself in this situation? They can't reach him because the crowd is so massive. And so what they do is they send an errand boy and they send somebody like, hey, go tell Jesus that he's crazy and his family's looking for him. And so here's what happens. I want you to look at how Jesus responds. Look at the text. Let's go back to it. Mark 3, 31. His mother and his brothers came, standing outside. They sent to him and called to him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said, Your mother, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside seeking for you. They're looking for you. And Jesus answered them, Well, who's my mom? Who's my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said with conviction, This is my mom. This is my brothers. These are my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Or I love the way Matthew says it in his recording of this event. Matthew says Jesus stretches out his hand in this moment. Here it is on the screen. Stretches out his hand toward his disciples. It's this gesture of, of compassion and approval. And he gives them this brand new identity. And he says, these people are my mother and my brothers. It's often pointed out that uh, Jesus said a lot of things that were shocking and offensive in his teachings. Like, uh, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you want to follow me, you've got to die. Um, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Love your enemies and pray for them. Jesus said a lot of offensive stuff, a lot of things that are hard to swallow. But there's a book called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. F.F. Bruce, like preeminent New Testament scholar, like the best of the best. And in his book, Hard Sayings of Jesus, F.F. Bruce says that this, this right here, this moment right here, is perhaps the most shocking and disturbing thing that Jesus could have ever said. Especially in a first century Jewish culture where uh, your nuclear biological family is your primary identity. In that world, like just get, let's leave here for a moment and put yourself in this context so that you can feel the full weight of this. In this culture and in this context, like... You, you identify yourself by who your dad is and which tribe you come from. So I think about Paul in, in Philippians 3 where Paul's describing his life before Jesus. And he's saying, here's, here's who I was before Jesus. I, Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, Paul says that, was my, that was my identity. My family lineage was it's who I am. Or all throughout the Bible you see people identified as so-and-so, son of so-and-so, Right? Because in the ancient world, who you are is defined by where you come from. The kingdom of God flips that upside down. And so in light of that, you have to imagine, if you're Jesus' mom or one of his brothers, and you send somebody to go and tell him that you want to talk to him because clearly you're worried about him, like he's not answering his texts, like he's not like returning his voicemail, like either he's hitting the shady button or this thing's on do not disturb. But for whatever reason, like you're getting a cold shoulder from him. You can't, you, he's not paying any attention to you. And so the text literally says, we're going to send someone to get his attention. And so this guy comes back to you now and he says, listen, I told Jesus that his family was looking for him. And Jesus pointed to his disciples and said, this is my family. Like I'm, I'm with my family. Anyone who hears the word of my father and does it, that person is my family. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If I'm Jesus' mom in this moment, there's a part of me that says, who does he think he is, the Messiah? Like, I brought him into this world, I'll take him out of this world. Like, or if I'm Joseph in this moment, who we think is already dead, but if I'm Joseph, I'm like, there's no way you're going to diss your mom like this. Like, I mean, <laughs> like you, you need to come to your senses, right? You owe her an apology. And so... On the surface, we kind of look at it this way. Like on the surface, at least for me, it kind of sounds like Jesus is dissing his family. 
But what you have to realize is that Jesus is not being disrespectful to his family, nor is he minimizing, listen to me, nor is he minimizing the importance of, of the nuclear family. Like we could do a whole sermon about that. It's a whole other sermon about how God gave us the nuclear family. He gave it to us to teach us and teach the world something about himself. So Jesus is not doing that in this moment. He's not dissing his family. Rather, here's what's happening in this moment. Don't miss this. Jesus is using this as a teaching moment. So Jesus is using this as an opportunity to teach and proclaim a truth that changes everything. That through the gospel, God is creating a new family, a deeper eternal family that isn't just united by the blood of your ancestors, but a family that's literally united to God and to one another through the blood of Jesus poured out for our sin. And so in this scene, Jesus is not dissing family, but he is redefining family for us. And he's saying that family's not less than biological, but there's, but it's deeper than that in the kingdom of God. There's a, there's a new kind of family and a new way of being family that God is creating that transcends, listen to me, transcends even the bonds of biology. It's deeper. It's more beautiful. It's, it's, it's more, it's, it's everything you've ever longed for. And Jesus is saying, listen, God is doing it in this moment in front of you. So what he's saying is that when you trust in Jesus, to put it like on a different plane here, to put it on kind of on the bottom shelf, when you trust in Jesus and you embrace his life, death, and resurrection as your hope, you receive a brand new identity where you go from being an enemy of God to a beloved child of God and you now get adopted into this, this new family that you long for and were made for. Paul says it like this in Galatians 4. We can put it on the screen for you. He says... When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive what? Adoption. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth, listen, the spirit of his son he's put inside our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. And so Paul says, when you put your faith in Jesus, we, we all receive the same Holy Spirit, which means in some divine, mysterious way, we all share the same holy DNA together, which means we're family. And now, because of Jesus, God is our Father, and we are all sons of God, Paul says. Sisters in the room, uh, don't get too caught up on the fact that, that it says we're all sons and not sons and daughters. There's something really powerful happening in this moment. Um, you have to understand that in that culture, if you're a daughter... You get zero inheritance when your dad dies. Like everything goes to the sons. And so the kingdom of God flips the whole world upside down and says, in Christ, you're all sons of God. Meaning that everything that belongs to Jesus, the older brother, now belongs to you. Regardless of gender, race, socioeconomic class, if you're in Christ, you're a child of God, you belong to this family, and the full inheritance of Jesus now belongs to you. It's beautiful what God is doing. And the point is this, listen, if you're a disciple of Jesus, this is what Jesus is getting at in this teaching moment. If you're one of his disciples, you have a brand new identity and you're a beloved child of God before you're a Smith or a Jones or whatever you are. Like you have a brand new identity and a brand new family that you're a part of. If, if you're in Christ and you're a child of God and I'm in Christ and I'm a child of God, what does that make us? Family. Yeah, it makes us family in a literal sense. Like as a church, I want you to hear me say this. Like we don't believe this is just a metaphor. This is, this is a literal reality that God is creating. And once again, you read through the New Testament that the primary way you see Christians identifying one another is not, they don't call each other Christian. They don't call each other disciple or whatever, but they call one another brothers and sisters because literally that's what we are. What breaks my heart about our culture um, in this cultural moment that, that we're in is that not only are we seeing the breakdown of the nuclear family in America, which is a whole other sermon for a whole other day, but um, especially in the American, American church, we're also seeing a breakdown of the church as family. And so for most of us in our culture, and, and maybe for some of you in this room, when you hear the word church, the first thing that comes to your mind is, is maybe a building where people meet, right? So we think about a traditional church building with a steeple on it. We say, that's a church. That building is a church. Or we think about church as a weekly event, something we attend on Sundays like we're doing right now in this moment. But here's what, here's what Jesus wants us to see. He's completely redefining family. He's completely redefining church for us. 
And what he wants us to see is if you reduce the church to a building or, or a weekly event, not only are you diminishing the church, but you're diminishing your soul because you're missing out on what it is that your soul was made for. You're missing out what God is inviting you into, which is a new way of being family. And I just want to stop for a second. I want to put my finger on something. I want to acknowledge like attention that I have felt in my heart, in my soul, like all week as I've thought and prayed and studied and prepared for this moment. And the tension is this. I know that for some of you, and maybe you've been waiting on me to say this since I've started talking. Um, for some of you, maybe for many of you, when you hear me describe the church as a family that God is inviting you into, the temptation for you is to run in the complete opposite direction. Um, you want to check out. Maybe some of you feel anxious. Your body feels anxious in this moment. You feel a little bit guarded. Because for you, and really for all of us, the word family is a loaded term that comes with all kinds of baggage and negative connotations. And so for some of you, family uh, was just not a safe place growing up. I, I grew up in a home marked by addiction, so I get that. Um, for some of you... Home was not a place where it was okay to fail and make mistakes and trust that you were still loved and you still had a place where you belonged. It wasn't an environment where it was okay um, for you to be real and have desires and emotions because your parents didn't know what to do with that, so they shut it down. For some of you, um, family was, was a darker place, marked by abuse and abandonment and neglect and divorce and violence. Man, if that's, if that's you in this room this morning, I just want to say, man, as a church, as pastors, like, we love you. We're, I'm sorry. Um, I, have a, I have a ton of compassion in my heart for that. And I, I, I come from a place like that. And I understand what that's like. And then, you know, for the one or two of you in the room who are like, my family was great. Um, I like, I hate to be a bubble burster, but like, on some level, every family's just messed up and dysfunctional. Yeah. And the sooner you wake up to that, the sooner you will get close to the grace of God and the work that he wants to do in you. I think about Pete Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, among other things. And here's a quote from Scazzaro, what he says about this. He says, shame, secrets, lies, betrayals, relationship breakdowns, disappointments, and unresolved longings for unconditional love lie beneath the veneer of even the most respectable families. Then he goes on to say this, numeral external forces may shape us, but the family we grew up in is the primary, and, and, and except in rare circumstances, the most powerful system that will shape and influence who we are. Nothing shapes you like your family, and every family on some level is broken and dysfunctional. And so my, my point in stopping and acknowledging this is that if you grew up in a broken home or a dysfunctional family, like, listen to me, the very fact that you can point to that and you can point to your family experience and say, this was broken, this was messed up, means that there's something built into you, hardwired into you, where you, you know what family should be. Did you catch that? The very fact that you can point at your family experience and say, this was broken, this was, this was less than it should be, this was less than ideal, something was wrong here, that means that God has hardwired into you, built into you this longing for family and this, this kind of standard built into you of you know what it is that family should be. And the good news that, I, that, that Jesus is inviting us to step into this morning is that this is God's desire for you and for his church. Like God actually wants to give you the family that you've always longed for and were created for, a family marked by grace and forgiveness and freedom and love. This is what God is doing in his church. It's what God is doing in his church. He's creating a safe place for us to be with him and be with one another. Wherever you are in that journey, to be with him and be with one another. And a lot of that, here, here's what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning. I just want to share four realities that we need to embrace in order for us to experience this kind of family. So if this is what God is up to, if this is what he's doing in our midst, how do we step into this? How do we experience this? How do we try this on and live into the family that God is creating? So four realities in order for us to be the family God has created us to be, in order for us to experience this kind of family, four key realities I want to unpack. So here, here we go. Uh, the first reality, if you're taking notes, that we have to embrace if we're going to be the family God's called us to be, is that living together as family is non-optional if you're a disciple of Jesus. It's just non-optional. Again, this goes back to the thing where you can't follow Jesus alone. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses a different image to describe what the church 
uh, in the family of God is like, and he compares it to a human body. Um, Paul says the church is like your body. It has all these different parts or all these different members that are kind of differentiated and individual, and yet they're all connected and interdependent upon one another. And they all work together kind of to make your body function properly. So if I cut off my arm, I can live, but my body's not going to function quite right, right? So it's all these different parts that, that, are, that are different and yet connected and work together. And I love this. Watch this. Paul's going to show us why the family of God is non-optional. So we'll put, here we go. It's on the screen. First, he says this in, in chapter 12, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. In other words, let me, let me kind of sum that up for you. Paul's saying in the family of God, no one can say, I don't belong. How about that? Like you don't even have the right to do that. So you can't, you, you can't get saved in a relationship with Jesus and then come into this place and say, I just don't fit. I just don't belong. I know that's the way you might feel, but it's not true. Nobody can say, I don't belong, Paul says. All are welcome. Everyone belongs. Young, old. Male, female, black, white, rich, poor, American, or un-American. If you're in Christ, you belong to the family of God. You have equal rights in the kingdom of God. And then Paul continues. Look at what he says in verse 21. This is awesome to me. He says, but I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. How about that? Nor again, the head to the feet, I don't need you. So Paul says in the family of God, no one can say I don't belong. And no one can say I don't need you. Did you hear what I just said? You, you cannot look at any other part of the family of God and say, I don't need you. I can't look at you and say, I don't need you. You can't look at me and say, you don't need me because we need one another. All parts are welcome. All parts are needed. And so here's what that means for us. It means you're not nearly as independent as you'd like to think that you are. It means this is non-optional is what it means. It means this is essential for your discipleship to Jesus. I'm not as independent as I'd like to think that I am. We belong to one another and we need one another, Paul says. I think this is a really hard pill for us to swallow because you, you've heard us talk about this a lot, but it, we need to keep talking about it. Like we live in a hyper-individualized culture that says I'm autonomous. I'm the king of my own life. I don't need anybody. I'm independent. I'm my own authority. But the problem with hyper-individualism is that it goes right against the deep sense of loneliness that you carry. And the longing for connection that's there. So sociologists and, and psychologists are talking about this a lot. They're now saying that we have a loneliness epidemic in our culture. Um, where people are still clinging to their hyper-individualism. And yet at the same time, there's this deep loneliness. They don't know what to do with this longing for community that they don't know what to do with. And I read an article in the New York Times recently about how Britain has officially hired a minister for loneliness. It's like official government position uh, that, is, that exists to establish policies uh, and procedures to help their country deal with the scale and impact of loneliness. So it's like a, it's a real problem that they've, they've recognized. They've hired a government official to like help. Can you help us deal with this? Like people are more disconnected now than they've ever been before. And the, the, effect, the effects of this are like devastating. So uh, a report came out in 2017 on, uh, that was called the Commission on Loneliness. Um, it says that of those who participated in the survey, more than 9 million people, more than 9 million people marked that they were often or always lonely. And it talks about the damage this is doing to our bodies and our souls. Here's a quote from the report. I think we can put it on the screen. It says, loneliness kills. It has proven uh, to be worse for health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness leads to a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, anxiety, and the report goes on to say, young or old, loneliness doesn't discriminate. And so it's just, it's interesting to me that with the rise of social media and social networks like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and all this kind of stuff, we're, we're, we're more connected, so to speak, now than ever before. But, but the bulk of our relationships is like we have a thousand one-inch deep relationships and no real sense of community or especially a sense of family. Um, and we're lonely because that's what we were created for. We're created for family. We're created for relationship. You go back to uh, the beginning of the human story. So if we kind of leave this place, we rewind the clock, go back to Genesis chapter 1. 
uh, when God creates Adam and Eve, and here's what you read in chapter 1, verse 26. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And when we read this, we say, well, who's the us that God's referring to? Because it's just God in this moment. So he says, let us make man in our image. Is he talking about like angels or some sort of other celestial creatures? Like what is, what is it that God is talking about? And the answer is when God says, let us, he's talking about himself. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who have existed in this perfect loving union and community and family with one another since eternity past. And when God says uh, that he created us in his own image to kind of reflect and mirror him to the world, that means you and I were designed for connection and community and relationship. We were designed for family. Uh, The great theologian Gary Brashears, he says it like this. I love this quote. God is a family who builds a family. So you go back to the garden, and, and this, this, is why you, this is why the loneliness is I'm just trying to show you this is why the loneliness is there. Okay? Because God exists within himself as family. And you're created out of the overflow of God's family. Out of the overflow of the Trinitarian love that he shares within himself, God makes you. And so the point is you can't escape what your loneliness is trying to tell you. I mean, we can cling to hyper-individualism, and I'm a self-made person, I'm my own man all day, but you can't escape what your loneliness is trying to tell you. You You are a relational being made in the image of a relational God who exists as family, which means you were made for family. True family. It's what you want, it's what you need, and frankly, you can't live without it. Like, life doesn't work without this. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus, this is non-optional. Um, our culture would have us to believe that you can do this without the family of God. Like our culture, um, to go back to the hyper-individualism and the way it's kind of infiltrated the church, like our culture would have us believe that you can have me and my own personal relationship with Jesus and my like Matt Chandler podcast or whoever you're into and like my Christian radio, and that's, that's enough. Like I don't have to have this, and I certainly don't have to have like a missional community or a DNA or any sort of deeper space like with other people, like I can, it could just be me and Jesus and that's enough. But again, like the truth is like you, you can't have Jesus without the church. Um, you can't have the older brother without the rest of his siblings. You can't have the father without the rest of the family. It just, it just doesn't work that way. Um, We've, we've talked about Jesus uh, being the husband and, and, and uh, the church being his bride in Ephesians chapter 5. And I know I've heard Jared talk about this, and um, I've certainly felt this way before. But like, if, if someone came up to me and said, like, Adam, I think you're awesome, and I'd like me and you and our own personal little relationship, but I think your wife is a jerk, and I don't really want anything to do with her. And she's a hypocrite, and I really don't want to associate with her, but I'm really cool with you, and I'd like for you just to be my friend without her in the picture. Do you think I'm going to be that person's friend? No. I might punch them in the face. Uh, like, I don't, like, nobody's going to call my wife a jerk. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't want that. I'm not going to have that. So you don't get to be my friend without her. You don't get to have Jesus without his bride. You don't get to have the, the, the father without the family. Like this, this is just not, it, it goes against our design. So listen, we practice the way of Jesus together or we don't practice the way of Jesus at all. This is the way, this, this is, you can't have it any other way because it's the way it's designed. And life won't flourish in any other way. So that's the first reality we have to embrace. Everybody still with me? Like, if we're going to be, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus and if we're going to be the church God's called us to be, we have to realize that living together as family is just flat out non-optional. It's, it's essential. Second reality we have to embrace is the reality that this family, this community of brothers and sisters is the context where we get transformed and we grow up and we mature into the image of Jesus, which is the goal. So this is the place where we help each other grow up. Just like I'm trying to help my kids grow up. And they're actually helping me grow up. So um, Jesus, Jesus talks about how it's easy in the Gospels. He talks about how it's easy for us to look at someone else. And this is so, I'm so guilty of this. It's easy to look at someone else and point out the speck in their eye. Like their flaws and their imperfections. But what we can't see on our own is that we have this massive log sticking out of our own eye. Right? And the point is, I need you to help me see the places where I'm out of line with the gospel and where I need to grow up. And I may not want to hear it. I may not like it. 
But outside of community in the family of God, the, 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 the flat out truth is I can't see myself clearly and accurately. And if I can't do that, I'll never be able to change and grow up. And so here's how this works. Living together as family in community does two things for our transformation. It exposes us and it encourages. It exposes us and it encourages us. It exposes what's inside of you. When you put yourself in a situation where you can be known, like in this family, um, then you're going to get known. And so stuff's going to, stuff on the inside is going to make its way onto the outside, like my selfishness and my greed and my anxiety and my judgmentalism and my pride and my codependency. Like I can't hide all that stuff in, in, in community. Like it's, it's really hard to do. Um, though I try. I've, I've been in a missional community in a DNA group with uh, Matt Wesley for three years now. And so he's seen a lot of my good, bad, and ugly. And one time Matt and I were having a, um, a disagreement, or we'll just call it a fight. Right, Matt? Hey, Matt. Uh, we were having a fight about something, and we're texting back and forth. And, um, and rather than, like, call him or, like, meet up with him and, and, and try to understand, like, where he's coming from and then share where I'm coming from and then, like, you know, be gracious and patient with him, uh, I just begin to send him a series of angry, like, thoughtless texts where I'm like, you know that, you know that deal where you're just, like, not even thinking about it, just boom, boom send. And so I'm sending him a series of these that start off kind of like passive aggressive. And then by the end of it, I'm like full blown. I'm still, I'm still so sorry for this, by the way. Uh, still like, like full blown, like verbally assaulting him about like why, um, he's wrong and I'm right. And then in the middle of this, I just get this simple little text from Matt that says, um, I don't think we should talk about this anymore unless we're in person and there's a mediator present. And in that moment, like my heart, the spirit of God just broke my heart. Like I saw all this stuff that was coming from the inside that was making its way onto the outside and it was not pretty. And so in that moment, right, I called Matt immediately. He didn't answer. So I called him like 17 or 18 more times (laughs) and he didn't answer. And he later told me it was because like he would have said some things to me that he probably would have regretted. Right. And so that was a very mature thing to not answer your phone. And so, um, we did end up talking though. And later that night, I, I actually went over to Matt's house. He's my neighbor. And so I went to his house and we sat on his back deck and, um, and, and I, we, you know, cried. I apologized. I repented. I told him how sorry I was. And then this most amazing, I was just exposed. I, I was so raw. Like I, I didn't, I didn't want to see this stuff. I didn't want anybody else to see this stuff. And then here it was. Um, and then this amazing thing happens where like the person that I've offended, begins to encourage me and pray for me and, and, exp- and graciously like extend the mercy of God to me and then remind me that I don't have to sit in my guilt and my shame that because of Jesus, that's not who I am. And he just begins to speak the gospel over me. So I actually went, I actually went to his house defeated and full of shame. I left his house like with my chest held high, like reminded that I'm a child of God. Just full of encouragement, full of grace, full of truth. And, 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 and so the, the whole point is like, this is, this is how you get transformed. This is how it happens. And you don't get this kind of stuff. You don't get this kind of like exposure and encouragement outside of like fully plugging into the community of the family of God. It, it can't, I'm telling you right now, it can't happen in this space. This is essential. Like if we stop doing this, we're disobeying Jesus. This is essential for your discipleship. And there's a place for us to teach on that. And we have and will. But what I'm saying is this is not sufficient. This is not enough. Like if, if we're not putting ourselves deep into the family of God where we can be known, then we're, we're never going to heal and we're never going to change because we're never going to get exposed. and We're never going to get encouraged in the ways that we need. So thank you, Matt, for continuing to do that for me. Um, and I realize, like, as I'm saying all this, some of you are like, you just described my worst nightmare. Like the very reason that I don't want to plug in and I, I'm not quite sure that I want to truly be part of a, of, of a, of a, of a church that describes themselves as family is because I, I, don't, I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be exposed. I'm afraid of being exposed. I'm afraid of being vulnerable because you've learned in your story that what happens when you're vulnerable is you get slammed. When you get vulnerable, when you put yourself out there, you get hurt. Your heart gets broken. You get shamed. You get rejected. You get ridiculed, Right? And so you've been hurt by past relationships, which makes this very hard for you. 
Whether, whether that's like your family of origin, a divorce, a breakup, a betrayal, you've been hurt. And so the temptation, listen, I get it. Like the temptation is, is, is to wall off and say, I'm never going to get close to anyone ever again because I don't want to ever hurt like, get hurt like that again. And, 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 and I get that. But what, what Jesus is inviting us to see in this story and what we, the reality we have to embrace is that though we are hurt in relationship, we are also healed in relationship. Like the, listen, the only way like at a brain chemistry level to get healing from relational wounds is you have to have the courage to step back into relationships where you can have corrective experiences with people and you can allow yourself to be seen and known and you can experience people loving you and staying close to you despite all your junk. This, this is the culture the gospel's creating in the church and the family of God. This is, this is, this is who we are. This is what we're fighting to, to, this is how we're fighting to live as a family. This is what God offers you in the church. And so, this is, the, this is the context for you to grow and change. Um, the only context for you to grow and change. I love the way one writer says it in, in reference to the church. He says, people, put it on the screen, people, cut and dry. Here it is. People who stay in community, again, he's talking about the family of God. People who stay in community grow. People who leave do not. If you're always walling off and running away, you'll never grow. If you step in, the family of God provides a context where you can grow you can heal, you can experience the transformation Jesus has for you. And we have to embrace that reality. Third thing we have to embrace in order for us to experience this is we have to embrace the reality that this kind of family takes time, intentionality, and commitment to develop. Amen. Okay. Community takes time. Uh, Learning how to relate in a healthy way and be family together, that's some serious hard work. That is, that is life's work. Learning how to relate to Jesus and one another as family is the work of sanctification. That's, that's what God is teaching us. And it is, is stinking hard work. Like anything else worth doing, it is just not going to happen easily and it's not going to happen overnight. So here's the exhortation then. Please don't show up to a few MC family meals and then say, this doesn't feel like family. This is bogus. I'm out. Stay. Give it time. See what God does. If you're in a missional community right now and you're tempted to bail because this doesn't feel like family, stay. Give it time. See what God does. And be intentional. And be committed. Listen, like, man, I say, I say this with all the love in my heart. And this isn't finger pointing. Like, all the fingers are pointing back at me because this is a struggle for me too. I say this with all the love in my heart, but it is really hard to feel like family if you don't put forth any effort and if you don't show up and commit and stay in it. You will sabotage, your, sabotage yourself of what it is that you're longing for if you don't put forth any effort and you don't plug in and, and stay committed and stay in it. Um, at the end of the day, you can't have true community without commitment. And you can't experience family if you don't stay in the fight. Matt and I had a fight. We stayed in it. We're family, right? You can't, ha- you can't have it. I love this quote. It's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to read it. It's taken from a monastery called Our Lady Peace, or Our, Our Lady of, of the Mississippi Abbey, rather. And so it's convicting and encouraging to me personally. Here's what it says. We'll put it on the screen. It says, I love this. as a picture of commitment, okay? We vow, we're committed to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. Listen, please listen to this. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. You're setting yourself up for heartache because it doesn't exist. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself. And the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise... We have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, and forgiving. Isn't that beautiful? And some of you are freaking out. Don't freak out. Like as pastors, we're not asking you to take a vow to stay at the crossing until you die. Uh, God may not have you in this city until you die. Like he might call your family to another city or whatever, 
But don't miss what we are saying and what Jesus is saying is that God made you to live a rooted life. Did you hear me? God made you to live a rooted life, which means he created you to sink your roots and to sink your life into a people and a place and plug in and commit. And wherever you are, you're called to do that. And so to that end, as pastors, man, that's, that's what we're asking. Like in missional communities, we're asking you to commit and to make some, a few specific commitments. I'll just put a, a handful of these on the screen um, just to get at this idea of commitment. Like if you're in an MC, we're, we're calling you to commit to certain things like show up, right? You're, you're, you're actually expected to like be there. <laughs> like, like show up to your weekly family meal. Um, gather and, you know, unless you're sick or you're out of town or there's some circumstances outside of your control, like be there, be there. You, you know why, you know why you need to be there? You belong and you matter. First Corinthians 12, you belong and you're needed and you need it. You need them show up, be there. Um, if you're going to miss, try to give a 24 hours notice or like a, give a phone call, resist. There's this temptation to shoot like a sneaky little text, like 30 minutes before, like even, even, sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to meddle, but like, even when you've like, even when you've like signed up to bring food, right. And it's like 30 minutes before and you're like, I'm not going to be there. Like, get, get, unless you've got a really good excuse, like give we're family, right? So like, give, give us a heads up, man. Give, give, give your MC leader a heads up. Give the family a reason. They, they should worry about you if you're not there because we're family. Another expectation, help with the meal, with cleanup, with hosting. Look, even if we're not meeting at your house, take ownership like a host, be fully present, greet people, welcome them Four, like when necessary, help one another and serve one another. Um, in the last few weeks in our MC, we've helped a family move. Uh, we've provided meals for a family with a new baby. We've watched each other's kids. Like these are just things that we're committed to, needs that we meet because we're family. And so in order for us to experience the family of God, you have to start being the family of God, which means we have to make this shift from being consumers to being committed contributors who are all in this together. Last one and we're done. Literally, I'm on the last page of my notes. Okay, so stay with me. Um, In order for us to be the church God's called us to be, we have to embrace the reality that family is beautiful and it's also messy. It's beautiful and it's messy. Everybody agree? Yeah? You read the Old Testament, you look at Abraham's family, the people of Israel. Uh, you read the New Testament, you look at the disciples in the early church, you realize pretty quickly that the people of God are a pretty dysfunctional family. It's beautiful, but it's messy because people are messy. You are messy. I'm messy. Relationships are hard. It's the hardest work that you can do. And so we have to be patient with one another. We have to realize that, listen to me, We all come into this family. We all come into the family of God with our own sin, our own idols, our own woundedness, our own brokenness, our own family of origin baggage, our own expectations, and it is messy. Beautiful, amen, right? And it's messy. But listen to me. Listen to me carefully. The only way to experience the grace of God is to put yourself in messy places. The the grace of God is for messy people and messy places. And if you try to stay out of the mess, you'll miss out on the grace. And you'll miss out on the life that you were made for in relationship with God and one another. And so wherever you find yourself in this morning, I, I, I just want to submit to you that this is what you long for. This is what you were created for, this family. And therefore, at the Crossing Church, we're just inviting you to lean into this family with us. We say every week, you hear us say, we want to help you go from, from being guests to being family. And we mean that. And therefore, like, I, I just want to encourage you as we end this morning that if you're in a missional community, please keep at it. Please keep showing up. Please keep doing your own fair share of repenting. Please keep doing your own fair share of repenting. Please don't just point out the specks in everybody else's eye. Like, please keep showing up. Please keep repenting. And please keep forgiving. And stay committed to the life God's, God's called you to live in community. We can't practice the way of Jesus if we don't do it together. And if you're not in a missional community, we encourage you to try it out. I'll put this on the screen. I took this as a screenshot from our website. Um, you can visit our website, crossingparagold.com uh, slash missional dash community. And you can read more about what an MC is and to find one that you'd like to visit. 
Um, if you go to, yeah, if you go to that link right there, you can also click, see that, see that button right there that says download MCs? You click that, it'll literally give you a list, a PDF of all of our current missional communities. This is available to you right now on our website. It'll give you a list of all our missional communities, who the leaders are, what their mission is, what days and times they meet. And if you keep scrolling down, next slide, this is on our website, um, it says, do you, do you need help trying, to, trying, trying out a missional community? Would you like help visiting one? And so literally you can uh, click that button right there that says find an MC and it'll, it'll send Heather Watson, who's our you know, staff ministry assistant full time, send her an email and then she and I will work together to literally help facilitate a visit for you. Like, okay, which MC would you like to visit? We will help you get in touch with that leader and make sure that leader's in touch with you and you have everything you need and you can show up where it's not just unannounced and awkward, but they're expecting you. And like, we, we're, we're going to try to do everything we can to help you step in, is my point. Because that is what you were created for. It's what you were created for. And so as we, as we transition to a time of communion, I just want us to come to this table. And this table reminds us why we're family and how it's possible that we're family. Like Jesus, our older brother, literally came and, the, and this, this, this bread and this juice represents his sacrifice that he made for us where his body was broken, his blood was shed to pay the price for our sins so that we can go from being an enemy of God to an adopted child of God in this family of God, brothers and sisters together. And so um, the way we take communion here is you simply tear a piece of bread off and you dip it into the cup. And um, if, if you're in this room and you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a brother or sister in Christ, this meal is for you. This is literally a family meal where we come together. Jesus is here present to host this meal. He's serving this meal. And so this is his body and his blood served up for you. And so come and, and bring nothing but your need of his grace and come and celebrate what he's done for you. If you're in this room and you would say, that's not where I'm at this morning, like I'm just not, I'm not ready to commit to Jesus and to his body and his mission, um, man, we're so glad you're here. Like we hope you continue to journey with us. This is a safe place for you to belong before you believe. And so our prayer for you is that you wouldn't come and participate in this and, and take communion, but that this morning you would kind of stay where you are and consider what would it mean for me to take Jesus at his word? What would it mean for me to receive Jesus who is calling me to himself. And if you want to talk more about that, man, I know I would be available. Jared and Luke, our pastors were here. Um, I don't think Chuck's here in this service, but we would love to make ourselves available to talk with you, pray with you, and help you wrestle with that, that question.